welcome to episode 119 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 29th of March 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Good evening. And Will. Hello. So later on we'll cover some of your feedback, but first I want to talk to you guys about your home media setups. We started talking about this off-air because of a YouTube video showing you how to get Widevine working on a Raspberry Pi 4. So that means you can get Netflix and Amazon Prime and Disney Plus working. But then we started talking about our various setups and I said, right, let's talk about this on air. And you've mentioned this before, Will, but you used to be into Myth TV, didn't you? Yeah, for a long time. I even went to the lengths of building a VGA to RGB SCART cable with all sorts of analog <laughs> electronics on it to make it work, just so that I could get a, a really decent video signal out of the back of a PC connected to a proper good old CRT TV. So that dates it somewhat. But I think about a year ago, I decommissioned Myth TV because I just wasn't using it enough anymore. I used Myth TV for a long, long time as well. Very similar time. It must be a similar time because I had to build an RS-232 infrared beamer mm. to change the channels on, like, um, it was a satellite receiver. And then the satellite receiver, it was like analog capture on the Linux box, which I had a USB device that, so it changed the channel and then the, the analog capture device basically made a recording and stuck it on the hard drive. And it was a big PC that we hid in a clothes chest in the living room. But it was it was before like Sky Plus and all that pause rewind of live television. So it felt really amazing um, when it worked, but it got so complicated, didn't it? Yeah, exactly the same. A great big, relatively noisy PC, which they then spent quite a lot of money on making quiet. And back in those days on the Myth TV mailing list, there was a, a thing called the wife acceptance factor, mm -hmm. which was how how easy it was to use and whether or not it would be accepted as a legitimate way to watch TV. Uh, and to its credit, Myth TV did achieve a very high wife acceptance factor in my house, and we just switched to it as the default way of watching TV, skipping over adverts, uh, not having to be in front of the television at the time that the thing was on. And yeah, as you say, it was the precursor to all of them, like iPlayer and um, Sky Plus and all of those things, way before Netflix was even uh, a, a dream, I think. Uh, and there I was living it at home many years ago, and it was brilliant. All right, so that's the history, but where are we now then? Are you just using Fire Sticks and Skyboxes, or are you still actually using Linux? Well, I actually switched to using TV Head End, which is absolutely brilliant. It's like, it's just the back-end recording thing, and it'll work with a DVB-T in the UK, terrestrial transmissions or satellite, digital satellite transmissions. It basically handles all of that back-end through a web interface, and then there's a front-end client that will work with Kodi, so I use that. So I still use it, but I never watch it. I've got a hard drive full of recordings that I never get around to seeing. And is that just on an x86 box then? It is, actually. It's on a, The back-end recording is on a Nook, um, and then I actually use an APK of Kodi installed on a Fire TV, an Amazon Fire TV device, sideloaded. Yeah, I'm not quite as invested anymore. Um, I went to the lengths originally of running two aerial feeds and two satellite feeds down to the utility room where I had the PC plugged in. But it just started building up. Like I was recording stuff for the kids, I was recording stuff for me. And then as iPlayer and Channel 4 and all the various other services came online, I found myself using it less and less, primarily because I couldn't find a decent UI that would plug into the TV that didn't involve having a noisy fan PC under the under the um, TV. 
I used to have um, Ion, was it? The, the NVIDIA uh, graphics card with an Atom processor. Um, and they were great, but again, noisy and but but cheaper at the time and then i wanted to move away from those i tried various raspberry pis and just could never get a really satisfactory smooth tv picture either the um the picture was a little bit juddery it would drop a couple of frames here and there or the lip sync would be slightly out um and eventually i ended up moving to a fire tv stick and using the native apps that were on there Although in the last, well, I don't know, a couple of months, I have started playing around with various uh, Myth TV front ends on those things and just not found them to be quite good enough yet. They're getting there. They're nearly there, but they're not quite good enough, in my opinion. So I'm just using native Fire TV apps and Kodi as well for um, other media that I have. Backed up media, shall we say? Yeah, backed up, backed up. But I'm genuinely excited by, I mean, Phelim actually told us that you can get Netflix and everything running quite well through um, a browser with Kodi integration, which I should try. But I'm pretty excited by the idea of getting Widevine working within Kodi because I'm using the Amazon Fire Stick even just to launch Kodi, but also for Netflix and things like that. And there's so many adverts. It's so many difficult, so difficult to find things. And also Amazon pushing its own kind of, in its usual way, pushing its own priorities ahead of usability, um, and it really gets to you after a while. We have used Kodi. I say we. It's been my wife who built it because I, I just can't be arsed with TV stuff and messing around, and I'm terribly impatient. So she got a Pi and set up our initial one where we would watch our archived audio and video that we would have. And uh, yeah, we eventually upgraded that through various stages through a Pi 2, 3, and then up to a Pi 4. And we got the TV hat for ours because I had tried using a USB stick and they used to always be power issues, I think, with the stick on the Pi uh, where it would drop out or you get weird issues where it just wouldn't be able to write to the hard drive at the same time. So that was already on its own powered connection. It was a, it was a caddy. So there's an SSD and a caddy fully silent uh the pi 4 with the tv hat on top so we can get serview which is um i guess free view is probably a similar thing that you just have you know the free to air digital channels so we can set that up and they uses tv head end as well to do all that work as well much like you were saying graham so we get all the stations anything that we want to watch a bit of rugby or whatever uh news things like that we don't watch an awful lot of tv in all fairness but uh use a fair bit of youtube uh so the youtube plugin works really well once you've synced up all your horrible api keys which is an absolute nightmare to sync up once you get those synced up then you can watch your your playlist so you can add stuff in the browser to playlists that you might want to see and the Kodi app for android is fantastic so i can like be watching something on i can say right send that off to the tv one click bang off it goes um and that is so cool because if you find stuff and you say oh look at this and then oh i'll stick it up on the big screen and then off it goes to it the other thing is the netflix plugin and that downloads a i think it's something massive like a gig chrome image extracts the widevine plugin out of that and then it works now thing is you're just clicking i'm going to download this huge thing is that okay and you go okay and then off it runs and does it and i watched the season three of the f1 uh series on netflix only over the weekend and it was great and no dropped frames no lip sync issues it was just fine was it 
Perfect. Yeah, absolutely perfect. Nice. Um, the pie flicked up the old overheat warning a wee bit, but I don't have a fan in that pie. And it's in quite a tight case with the TV hat on top. So I think maybe we need to put it in like a very slow rotational fan. Because, I mean, it doesn't really struggle. It's only the odd time you see it. But, I mean, I watched through a couple episodes back to back and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll just ignore that icon up there. I'm sure it's grand. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was fine. Well, I got a case with a fan for my Pi and originally wired it up to the 5 volt and it was really whiny and loud. But then I moved it over. Is it the 3 volt pin? Mm. And it works absolutely fine. It just runs slower. Obviously, doesn't cool it quite as much, but it's much quieter. So that might be worth a try. Yeah, it's a real shame that somebody doesn't make a case with an absolutely huge fan in it. I mean, obviously, I know the voltages are not going to help, but if they made the power supply for the Pi part of the case... And then they could put a large radius fan that could spin really slow up there. I mean, people want silence. 120 millimeter fan. I want a 160 mil fan. 160. That's what I want. With LEDs and everything. Who needs an Aura TV when your fan can do it behind the TV? Okay, this episode is sponsored by CBT Nuggets. Training for IT professionals or anyone looking to build IT skills. Go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux and sign up for a seven day free trial. I've just started my learning journey with CBT Nuggets, but I've already picked up tons of knowledge from the short and manageable videos in the Docker and Network Fundamentals courses. Their in-house trainers are active and certified IT professionals who add around 40 hours of new training to the course catalog each week, so you can always stay current and up to date. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late-night-linux. Well, I'm going to argue that you're all doing it wrong, and you should just get a little NUC-type device. In my case, it's a bricks, but just a NUC or whatever, and just run a proper Linux desktop. I have tried it, but it just... Even the nook gets hot and the fans start to spin, even though I set the profiles for the fan and it's in the same room. And it's pretty good. I also tried using it as like a Steam front end to see if I can get better support. I think actually it was the Steam missing Steam streaming that stopped me in the end. But in theory, the Raspberry Pi just seems like such a perfect fit, small, low power, um, and with the right amount of video acceleration. And it's even the right chip. I mean, that's what that chip in the Raspberry Pi was designed for originally was video display boxes. Yeah, but I found that I haven't tried it with the four extensively, to be fair, but previously with the three, I found it just that little bit clunky on the UI for Cody or whatever. I just found it like just occasionally it just be a little bit slow whereas a proper linux desktop on an x86 box oh yeah just allow me to get my massive keyboard and mouse in <laughs> exactly. with my big 15 foot fucking usb cable into the back of my massive pc that is fucking atrocious do not say look do not say look no 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 i've got a logitech keyboard and touchpad yeah, I have that exact one. it sits in the drawer under the tv and it never gets used because <laughs> cody is so well done that you can if you want to type in something awful you just bring up your phone bring the cody app and say mm. you know you activate the keyboard on the phone type it all in bang off you go and you don't need to haul out your biscuit encrusted popcorn <laughs> kernel horrific keyboard that's spawning life all right or sometimes i use kde connect <laughs> 
Yeah, and I use KDE Geek to talk to the Cody box too. So, well, yeah. But if you've got a desktop, you can use the, the phone as a touchpad. You can bring up the keyboard when you need to, and you don't have any of the issues because you've got just you've got a proper browser. But I don't have any of the issues either, <laughs> and it doesn't look like these tiny icons that I have to try and strain my eyes to see. You can fix that very easily. I use um, a Harmony One remote control, which is I could really recommend, actually. It interfaces with almost everything. So I need something that turns on the TV and the amplifier, switches the amplifier to the right input and the TV to the right input and uh, and switches to the to the Raspberry Pi or the, the PlayStation or whatever. I've only got one input. I've got my PC into my sound system and my screen, and I just turn the screen on, the amplifier on, job's good on. But actually, I was going to say it works. There's a Kodi back end for it. So it'll emulate a keyboard um, as well as a normal remote control for Kodi. Even on a PC, I had this working on the Nook without you even requiring a keyboard. So you can use like a normal living room friendly remote. I do dread the day that my TV packs in. I mean, it's an old smart TV and I really don't want a smart TV anymore. I just want a dumb, stupid screen, nice, large, fast response time, quick to boot. And I was getting really worried about it until <laughs> the Ubuntu podcast guys had an episode where I think it's it Mark got a new TV and it seems that there is some hope. Yeah, with um, Roku in it. Yeah, I mean, I don't want the Roku bit really, but I, it does sound like it's at least a supported proper TV. And I had found another crowd that were similar in the fact that they're offering them. So it looks like they are kind of available. I'm, I'm just, I really don't want the latest fad in my TV. It's going to be there for 10 plus years. Yeah, I just want a dumb screen really, if possible. And then you can upgrade the machine that's plugged into it much more easily. Exactly. On to a bit of admin then. And first of all, thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate it. Remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. If you want to find out about that, latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. And just a reminder, the next Mumble get-together will be on Friday the 9th of April at 10pm UK time latenightlinux.com slash mumble for details there and i suppose i should plug my albums really um i released a couple of albums one guitar based stuff and one electronic they're called noise with guitars and repetitive nonsense joelrest.com slash music or i'll stick a link in the show notes for that it's a collection of old stuff basically that i dug through my nest to find there's nothing new in there from i don't think there's anything even from the last few years this is all just old stuff that i'd been meaning to compile and uh so yeah check them out you can get it on uh my website you can just download a zip file of them or you can get it from Bandcamp with a pay what you want starting at zero so uh yeah i don't know check it out i'm obviously highly confident with names like that i know <laughs> Okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux to get started with $100 free credit and 60 days to use it. Linode offers cloud computing solutions in data centers all over the world. Whether it's scalable VMs with a choice of major distros or one-click apps and stacks, dedicated CPU and high RAM instances, block and object storage, or cloud firewalls and DDoS protection, Linode has everything you need for your personal projects right up to managed enterprise infrastructure. I recently moved our website over to Linode and it was really straightforward. And when I needed a Mumble server for our community meetups, spinning up a new VM for that was an absolute breeze. Everything's been running flawlessly since I set it up 
and I love the peace of mind I get from the automatic backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, get your $100 credit and check out Linode's great cloud hosting services and first class always available support. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. And first, just to mention that Sean Davis got in touch with us. We've been talking about him recently. He is the Zubuntu dev who's been really pushing that forward. And now he's kind of moving over to elementary OS. And we'd talked a little bit a couple of times about him and his decision and everything. So he wrote a really detailed email to us about why he was doing that and what's going on. And I said, well, let's record a conversation about that. And so we did. And that's going to be on Late Night Linux Extra 19. So do keep an eye out for that one. Well, we got a bit more feedback about getting young people into Linux and open source. And a couple of young people actually wrote to us. The first one was Sergey. I'm a 16-year-old student, and I thought I might share my perspective on the latest Late Night Linux Extra. Here are some notes I made while listening. I was unsure about going with Linux because I had the conception that it was really, really dated. I only tried it out because I didn't want to pay for Windows. I still think it has improvements that need to be made before most people will find it as easy to use as Windows and Mac OS. All the desktop environments that are easier to use need to look prettier. It also needs to work nicer with Windows. I have LibreOffice and unfortunately it doesn't have brilliant compatibility with DocX. There's always a picture or something that's not in the right place. Then it needs to come pre-installed on mainstream devices for anyone to use it. Yeah, that's clearly a good one. Gaming is a fairly big crowd, so I guess if Linux could get as good as Windows, and then even better, you could attract some gaming enthusiasts. People care about privacy to an extent. They like knowing that the OS is secure and seeing a notification of sorts when the camera is active, but they're not willing to give up much at all in favour of privacy. And this is the other message that we had from Parker. I'm currently 12 and started using Linux when I was 10, two years ago. The important thing I feel is important to getting kids into Linux is to interest them in the workings of Windows first and move to Linux from there. This is important because they can still play their games, but start to understand a couple of things. One, Windows is a pain. And two, they learn more about basic terminology. Three, it can be a stepping stone to Linux by starting with VMs and understanding how to get their games and apps working under Proton and Wine. For the more creatively inclined kids, you can go ahead and get them interested with customization. or for me, it was playing with new desktop environments that gave me a fun thing to look at, and that's how I became a distro hopper. Finally, the amazing one, Speed. Windows is the worst piece of crap I've ever had to use. A 12-year-old, especially because of VMs. VR and Oculus. In any case, you show them the speed of KD or LXQt on the same device and that will win them over as well. Most kids have no idea what Linux is. We need to spread awareness before we spread usage. All very interesting points and uh, interesting to hear from young people. Why are 12-year-olds listening to this <laughs> effing and jeffing that we do here? They must have cool parents, that's why. <laughs> We need to start putting that uh, parental advisory uh, explicit lyrics <laughs> sticker on the front of our CDs. Uh, yes, Parker, CD was a thing that music used to come on. <laughs> <laughs> a bit like gramophones. Yeah, yeah. You have to explain albums next. It's like a directory of stolen music in your downloads folder. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think never underestimate the power of free. Like even in work, I would have struggled where getting funding for licensed copies of stuff, if you can do it for free in Linux, that is a big draw. And I, I think, got in the mid-90s into Linux by 
customized Explorer extensions to make Windows look different. And then uh, that sort of drew me towards trying out a different OS. So yeah, I think he's, I think they're pretty right about those types of things as well. All right, Stumpy wrote to us, on a recent episode, DuckDuckGo was mentioned, and indeed has been mentioned in the past, and it seems every time it is characterized as useless. I'm not going to waste your time by telling you it's awesome or talk ad nauseum about bangs, as it is subjective. However, it would be nice for you guys to consider use cases apart from, I find it to be crap, maybe other people can tolerate it. <laughs> and he does hear his paraphrasing. I find that it works for 80% of the stuff I need on the first page. Well, yeah, there's your main fucking problem. Google works 100%. But anyway, continues. I have set my folks up with it, and they are perfectly fine with it, and my wife as well, and they barely know the difference. For super techies who use search as a super specific thing, then it is admittedly less useful, which to me is where bangs come in. And yes, even bang G sometimes, but the majority of the time it's okay when I'm trying to remember the syntax for find with exec, not to mention when my mom wants to find a recipe or some news event or my wife wants some gardening tips. All that is to say, the dismissal of DuckDuckGo seems not as well thought out as I think you guys are capable of. Well, <laughs> no. Well, it comes down to a few things, doesn't it? The the American thing, first of all, which you always go to. Yes, and again, I'm Chris Patty. I'm looking at you. I'm not being anti-American with this. I'm just not American, and I don't live in America. I live in Ireland. Our country's not a member of the Five Eyes. Therefore, I am the enemy in brackets for data hoarding. And as much as DuckDuckGo might say oh yeah, we definitely don't keep any of these searches. I don't believe them. And it's another company from a different continent, so we can't believe them. So I kind of dismissed them out of that more than anything else. And also, they're just using Bing, unless you use Bang G or whatever. Why not just use Bing? That's an American company. Oh, right, that might be Microsoft and one layer of abstraction or whatever. It's probably pointless. I mean, I don't really think anybody cares what I'm searching for, but if privacy is the big thing... I don't know if I can believe it. Okay, so that's the first aspect. The second is, it's just not as good as Google. And start page is just Google, isn't it, effectively? Which is what you use, Phelan. Yeah, effectively, yeah. And 80% of the stuff that you need, like, that's shit. I'm sorry, but 8 out of 10 is not good enough for me. I want 10 out of 10. I want 11 out of 10. I want Google to tell me what I want to know before I even know I want to look for it. (laughs) Like on YouTube. But literally, I open YouTube... Fucking the first video is always the one that I'm looking for. Taylor Swift, isn't it? <laughs> no, I actually actively deleted all of Taylor Swift from my history because I thought it's getting too much, Joe. You need to knock it off. You want some variety. <laughs> yeah. I'm not even joking. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Datadog, the full-stack observability platform for real-time Linux monitoring. Create drag-and-drop dashboards to easily monitor enriched log data, seamlessly trace requests across distributed systems, and pivot between correlated data for rapid troubleshooting. With Datadog, you can improve performance with proactive alerts forecasting Linux OS resource usage and more. Break down communication barriers and add context to those alerts by notifying your team members through the tools you already use, such as Slack, PageDuty, or others. Try Datadog and get full visibility into your environment today at datadog.com slash late night Linux. Sign up for a two-week trial, create a dashboard, and you'll receive a free Datadog t-shirt. 
That's datadog.com slash late night Linux. All right, well, we got quite a lot of feedback about SUSE. We asked for people who are actually using it, and it turns out that quite a lot of people do. Yes, Stephen wrote in and said, as an application specialist for a high-end CAD reseller, I have OpenSUSE for running the software we sell. SUSE and Red Hat are the only two certified distros for the CAD software in order to still garner tech support and bug fixes. Interesting, but not a huge surprise, given that they are two huge enterprise distros. Although, you'd think Ubuntu would be on there, but maybe not. Then Sean says, I'm an American living in the US, and I've been a Linux user and sysadmin for over 25 years. In that span, I've run and or supported most or all of the current major distros at one time or another. I've personally found OpenSUSE to be the most advanced, reliable and well-designed Linux operating system I've ever installed. Whenever I've my choice of operating system for a project, I choose OpenSUSE. As a former Red Hat certified engineer and someone who currently supports RHEL and CentOS systems for customers, I'd also like to mention that I find OpenSUSE to be very familiar to RHEL CentOS from an administration perspective. For anyone currently looking to make a change from CentOS to another OS, I believe they would find the transition to OpenSUSE Leap to be fairly straightforward experience. Not seamless, perhaps, but at least streamlined. And Ator said, I've been using OpenSUSE Tumbleweed after going through Mandrake, Debian, Ubuntu, Gentoo, and Arch. It's great. It's a great rolling distro. ButterFS and Snapper, great KDE integration, also, SUSE has provided so much good stuff to the community. Open build system, open QA, pushing for ButterFS. They deserve so much more credit. And by the way, I live half in Ireland, half in Spain. It's nice that he can. <laughs> it is nice that he can, yes. Wish I could. <laughs> and we have another one. This one's from Josh. Just to share, I'm in North America and I've been using OpenSUSE as my daily driver desktop for around 17 years now. For my needs of programming, media consumption and communication, it does a fantastic job. I started with Red Hat, then Fedora when that came out and SUSE to try something new. And every one of the seven to eight other distros I've tried out since then, I keep going back to SUSE's brilliant combination of Yast, KDE and stability slash maturity. Yast's software installer module especially is beyond anything I've seen on other distros for the way it presents information and ease of use, which made it really easy to learn back in my beginning days. And finally, if nothing else, there are the music videos. Then he links to one and it's, oh, that's the way it all falls down for me. Like, it was all going so well. <laughs> I agree with you. I could just... <sighs> you know, have a bit of fun, fair enough, but uh, I don't think it's helping their image. But maybe it's a European thing. I don't know, I found him. We're very exclusive and sophisticated over here, don't you know? <laughs> And Dave said, at work, we have a Dell EMC IDPA backup appliance that runs all the components of the EMC Avamar backup suite of applications in a virtual environment within a physical rack. All the VMware virtual appliance VMs in this environment are based on SUSE. So while we don't support them, they are all supported by Dell EMC. I assume they are licensing from SUSE. In fact, a lot of virtual appliances I've come across from different vendors are based on SUSE. That sounds like a good earner for them. No wonder they can uh, do this IPO, eh? And before we move on from talking about OpenSUSE, I just want to mention the OpenSUSE conference, which is on the 18th to the 20th of June. Um, have a look at events.opensuse.org for more information. All right, well, I'll put a link in the show notes. Dave also said, on the NFTs, are these a way of replacing the physical media of a digital object for DMCA purposes? 
For example, today if I buy a movie or album from iTunes, then iTunes needs to be available for me to play that item. I found this out the hard way when I moved and thought I could still play movies purchased via iTunes and downloaded them locally before I had internet set up. Could these be a way to verify a purchase or ownership of digital media that isn't tied to a specific company? Possibly also allow people to transfer digital assets between services while providing proof of ownership. What do we think of that? It sounds like possibly... Sounds over-engineered for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. NFTs will be a bad dream and will be completely forgotten about in about six months. Graham still disagrees, I take it. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think like contracts in like Ethereum blockchains will go away, which is essentially what these are. I still don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anyone really truly does. It's the kind of thing that everyone just pretends to understand. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah totally, yeah. I'm making loads of money and then just I don't know. I retweeted something funny today, like comparing it to the tulip bubble is offensive to the people who bought tulips because at least tulips exist. <laughs> well, they did at the time. Well, apparently some people were well actually it that uh, some of the tulip mania stuff was uh, based on speculation of tulips that hadn't existed yet and stuff. So it's not a million miles away from that, but it it just seems like madness. But then Bitcoin kind of did 10 years ago when that started to appear and that's worth you know 50 odd thousand dollars and what is existence anyway in experience reality <laughs> jesus christ you don't actually see with your eyes <laughs> yeah it's all in your brain and stuff and yeah if you th this monitor that i'm looking at it doesn't really exist like that it's a bunch of atoms and but those atoms are actually just you know strings or whatever vibrations and that's right you, you're spot on graham you see a turtle on its back in the sun yeah <laughs> <laughs> You're all fucking replicants. Which turtle? What one? <laughs> oh, you'll be getting this bloody synthesizer out next time. <laughs> <laughs> all right, well, we better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be talking about what's been going on in the news. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. 